If you have your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We've been looking at the, ter- the, the concept of being courageous for the last uh, three weeks, and we're going to finish that up today. Next week, we're going to go to a different study. It's called Radical. We're going from being courageous to radical. That's kind of scary in and of itself. Uh, but I hope you'll join us. It's uh, based on a little book by Dave, uh, David Edmonds, I believe his name is, but it's called Radical, Taking Your Faith Back from the American Dream. Um, just the biblical concepts from that we want to grab. And today we're talking about uh, the courage to win the race. And you're saying, wait a second, courage to win the race? First of all, how many of you have seen the movie Courageous? We, we started this all out. Yeah, a lot of you have. Some of you still haven't gone to see that movie. You need to go see the movie. There's the scene at the end. If I could have found that scene for today, I would have pull that excerpt out of that because when he stands in front of the congregation and begins to call on the men of the congregation to stand up and be counted and be accountable, that is an amazing time of thinking what God has called us to do. But we're thinking about being not afraid. 365 times in the, in the Bible, it says, do not fear, do not be afraid, or fear not, or have courage. 365 times. Is it important for God to remind us 365 times? It must be important for him to call us to that courage. And when we're talking about winning the race, we just can't think about that. I, I can't think of the, the fact that it takes us courage to run. And yet, I do. I, 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 you can see my build. This is not the body of a miler. This is not the body of a marathoner. This is not even the body of a sprinter. This is not the body of a runner. God did not make me to run, and he did not make me to run fast. The only way that I go fast is if there's a motor involved. If I get on a bicycle, I have a good time with it, but I'm not really built to run. Our daughter has had asthma and had some breathing issues all of her life, and yesterday she completed a half marathon. She has a four-year-old with Down syndrome. She has a six-year-old. She has a full-time job. She has a husband. She has a family. And she somehow decided that she needed to get healthy. And she decided that she would push through the pain of asthma and other things. And she completed a half marathon. That takes courage. And I can't think about winning and running and running a race especially without thinking of the movie... um, Chariots of Fire. It's almost impossible for me to think about that. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? The guys in slow motion running across the beach. One time I was running along and singing that, and my son said, Dad, that's so cool to see you do that in slow motion. And I said, that was full speed. Chariots of Fire, uh, the, the tag on the Chariots of Fire, the little blurb, if you looked at the, uh, at the promo on it, it says the story of two British athletes, one a Jew, one a devout Christian, who ran in the 1924 Olympics, not just to run, but to prove something to the world. In an interview with Eric Little, the Scottish Christian, when he was asked about that, he said, you know, they, they put my premier event, the 100 meters, on Sunday. And because I was a Christian, I believed I wanted to make this statement to the rest of the world that a Christian shouldn't do that on Sunday. And so I opted out of my premier event, my best event. And one line from the movie, he said, uh, Eric Little said, they, they used this, uh, the, the, the uh, family of Eric Little said that they don't know that he ever really said this, but I love the line from the movie. I believe God made me for a purpose, and he also made me fast. When I run, I feel his pleasure. And the family said they they never actually heard him say that, but that certainly fit. 
So Eric Little, one of the two racers that the Chariots of Fire focuses on, switches from the 100-meter to the 400-meter. He had run that before, but never as a premier event. And so he switched to the 400-meter race, and he set a world record that stood for 12 years in 1924. The reporters afterwards said, how did you do this? And Eric replied, and this is a quote, I ran the first 200 meters as fast as I, as I could, and then I ran the last 200 meters faster. The courage to run the race. If someone had examined your life, would they say you're winning the race that you have run with all speed, that you've given it everything you had in the first half, and in the second half you gave even more? Is that the way someone would look at your life? If someone were to examine the Christian life, your Christian life, Paul got to the end of his Christian life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul was saying, I won. I won. I have finished well. I have done what I set out to do. In fact, I've done what God set out for me to do. And he's writing to Timothy, and it's toward the end of his life. He doesn't know that probably just within a few days of this, of this uh, writing this, that he will lose his life that he will be executed for the faith. How can I live so that at the end of my life, I can say, I won? How can I live? How can I have the courage to run the race as God has called me to run it? And, and that's really what we're looking at. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-5. through 5. How can I successfully, how can I profitably, how can I effectively, how can I godly run the race? How can I successfully run the race? Second Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 5. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. This is high language. I don't know if you understand that. He says, listen, I, I, I'm, I, I'm going to invoke something here. And he, Paul very rarely says, in the presence of God. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. You think that happens today? You think there are any teachers out there that are, that are speaking to itching ears? Look at verse 4. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist or a witness or one that's going out and telling, discharge all the duties of your ministry. How can I successfully run the race? Timothy was taking over as the pastor in Ephesus. In fact, he'd already done that. Paul had been in Ephesus, and it had been a, a, a tremendous ministry for him. And Timothy came in there, and he was the pastor of the church there and was doing a tremendous job. And Paul writes this letter to him, the second letter. It's very personal. It's one of three letters that they call the pastoral epistles or the pastoral letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus. And, and, and Paul is writing these, and, and he's trying to encourage this young man. How can I successfully run? Number one, run with urgency. Paul gives Timothy a charge. It's a very interesting compound Greek word there, the charge. It's dia martyr omai. And martyr is the middle part of that. It's a legal term. It's a solemn oath on pain of death. It's, it's life or death. This is a solemn charge. This is a life or death matter. 
Timothy, I want you to, to know something. And then it says, be prepared, ephysomai, alert, eager, insistent. This is something you need to understand. You need to, you need to sound the alarm. You need to be there. You need to be ready at the drop of a hat. You need to be prepared. That's urgency. Is that the way I approach the Christian life? Am I urgent in my life for Christ? Am I running my life, my Christian life, with urgency? And you say, well, pastor, I don't have to because by grace I've been saved through faith and that not of myself, myself, it's a gift of God. I understand that. The gift was free. What are you doing with the gift God has given you? Are you running with urgency? Are, is there something that's building behind you? Are you ready to go out and do what the Lord has, done, has asked you to do? I did some research on Olympic runners and their urgency in, in getting prepared for the race and being prepared, their urgency in, in approaching the race is, is kind of amazing. Uh, I ran across this book that I got, The Courage to Run by Jim Ryan. Jim Ryan grew up in, in our neighborhood. I grew up in Kansas City and he grew up in Lawrence, Kansas. And I actually saw Jim Ryan run as a, as a high schooler. I went to my brother's track meet and there was this guy that was so fast that nobody could even get close to him in the mile. It was an incredible uh, it was an incredible thing to see him run. He was so fluid. He was so, it, it seemed like it just effortless. In 1965, Jim Ryan set the high school mile record at 3 minutes and 55.3 seconds as a high schooler. That record stood for 36 years before another high school boy beat that. There is no other mile record that has lasted that long. That is an incredible thing. Less than a year later, in July of 1966, he wrote, I thought it was time to take a crack at the world record. And, and I thought that was interesting that he thought that, and I thought it was interesting that I had the quote, and it's gone. Oh. He said, I thought, it was, I thought it was time to take a crack at that. So we passed the first 440 meters or 440 yards on world record pace and came through the half mile at 1 minute and 55, everything was going as planned. Coming into the third backstretch, I felt the pace lag. I knew that even a lapse of several strides could cost me the record, and so I went into the lead, even though there was more than 700 meters away from the finish line. I hit the final three-quarters of, three of a mile mark in 2 minutes and 55.3 seconds, and I knew all I had to do was run the final lap in 57 seconds. Anybody here tried to run one lap, one-fourth of a mile in 57 seconds? All he had to do was that, after he'd already given all that energy. However, down the backstretch, the pain, the pace had brought the lactic acid in my muscles and it began to take its toll. With 220 yards left, I was hurting. As I came around the curve and into the final stretch for a brief moment, I thought of all the miles I had run, all of the 440s, the repeat miles in practice, all the pain and the sweat I had put in going up and down those bleachers, all the times I had worked out, all this effort I put in just to get to this moment. I had spent years committed to breaking the world record. Here was my chance. And forcing my body through the pain, I came down the home stretch thinking the finish line couldn't come soon enough. I broke the tape and managed to slowly walk around the curve. A few minutes later, the announcer came over the loudspeaker. In first place, Jim Ryan. Three minutes, 51 seconds, 51.3 seconds. He had broken the world record that day by more than two seconds. Do you understand that? More than two seconds. Today, when they break a world record, it's by a tenth or by hundredths of a second. And this man 
realized that he had to have an urgency. Come on, pastor, that guy's a world athlete. I mean, he's, this, guy, this guy's an Olympic athlete. We're not like that. God says, don't you want to give me that urgency? Don't you want to give me that, that, kind, of, that kind of power? He was running for a trophy, for a record. That record has faded away. There are guys much faster than that today. We're running for something really important. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul is writing earlier to the Corinthian church. He says, don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets a prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Is that the way we live the Christian life? Oh, pastor, I'm doing okay. Are you? Do you have an urgency about your Christian life? Do you get up in the morning and you think, man, I'm so hungry to to, to see this word. I, I have this urgency. We have two little dogs. We have, a, we have Buddy and we have Bo, a three-year-old and a two-year-old. They're both adopted dogs. And these guys have an urgency in the morning. When they see us get our shoes on, they want to go for a walk. When we get done with a the walk, they come into the kitchen. And, and today, Kathy was opening up the dog food. And, and we do just a little wet food, just a little treat for them in the morning to get them primed. Because they, poor things, they hardly eat at all. And as she's opening up this, this dog food, the little dog is just leaping up and doing circles. And just, just he's so excited and he's, he's growling and he's getting, you know, it's, oh, arr, 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 arr. oh, that was me waiting for breakfast. No, that was not. <laughs> Do we have that kind of urgency about life? And the Lord says, don't you understand? This is what I want for you. And Paul is writing to this protege and he says, don't you understand? You need to have this urgency and it says in season and out of season, when it's convenient, when it's not. When it's good for you, when it's not good for you. Sometimes I've heard people say in season and out of season, so it doesn't matter if the person wants to hear the gospel or not. That, that's not what it says. This is for the speaker, not the hearer. We need to be sensitive to the person that's listening and give them the gospel when they're ready for it. But we should be ready in season when, we're, when it's convenient, when it's not. This is not a biblical mandate to be rude. This is a biblical mandate not to be lazy. Run with urgency. Number two, run with patience. Wait, 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 wait. You can't be urgent and patient at the same time. You know, you're just talking about all this urgency, and now, 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 you need to do it, and you're saying patient? Well, there's two meanings. Patience has two meanings. One is waiting, and one is enduring. One is going to a doctor's office when they say your appointment's at 10 o'clock, and you get to see him at 10.45 or 11.30 or, you know, tomorrow. The other one is enduring. Here it's enduring, being prepared, being trained. It's it's all about, he says, being carefully prepared. Be prepared in season and out of season. Talks about careful instruction. That's where endurance comes. If I was going to, again, go back to the analogy of running, reading the Bible daily is like putting in the miles. These guys that are great runners, they get up every day and they run and they just put in the miles. Whether it's good miles or bad miles, they have to get up day after day and they have to get their body used to doing that. Reading the Bible every day is like putting in the miles. Studying the Bible, going beyond just a a casual reading of it and going back and seeing what the words mean and really studying it is like learning to be efficient as you run. See, I had a guy look at me one time, a a football coach. He watched me. He said, George, if you're going to be on the football team, you have to run a mile at a certain time. I think it was a 10-minute mile. And I said, there's no way I can run a 10-minute mile. I mean, some of you are laughing like 10-minute mile. I mean, I can walk a 10-minute mile. That's ridiculous. But I couldn't run a a 10-minute mile. And he watched me run. And he said, you're so inefficient in the way you run. And I said, excuse me? 
Both feet work. The mouth is gasping for air. My head is thrown back. My arms are back. And he says, yeah. He says, what are you doing? And I said, well, I, you know, I, I don't know. And he helped me learn to run more efficiently. And when he helped me learn to be a little more efficient, I was able to be on the football team because he taught me to run in such a way that I could make the standard for the team. Do you understand what it means to study the word, to be more efficient in how you grow and how you run the life? And then memorizing the Bible is like interval training. Memorizing portions of Scripture. When I was in college, I was memorizing uh, Romans 8, 10, and 12. And, and then I memorized the book of Philippians. And I memorized some other things. I memorized John 10. And you say, well, pastor, you were studying to be a pastor. Actually, at the time, I didn't know for sure if I was. I was just getting some money off of my tuition if I did that. As a boy in high school, I memorized hundreds of verses, and I'm so glad I did now. It's like interval training. You run fast for a while, and then you slow down, and then you run fast for a while. And memorizing is like that. It's there. It's, it's that deep reserve that you have when you need it. Run with patience, with endurance. Does that describe your Christian walk? Is that the way you've trained? Is that the way you've prepared? Are you reading the Bible every day? You say, well, you know, my, my schedule is just such that it's hard to do. My schedule is such that it's hard to do, too. I put in my miles before I ever get to, to the office. I read the Bible before I ever get there, before I ever get to the study time. And I study outside of my office hours because sometimes my office hours are so hectic I don't get to do the studying I need to do, and so I do it at other times. Run with patience. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles you know, running with endurance means that you can't run in an overcoat. You can't run in flip-flops. You can't run in galoshes. You can't run with all this other stuff. If you're a runner, you know that you have to strip off the stuff that's hindering you and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with endurance, with perseverance, with patience. The race marked out for us. We have that little black dog I said that we had just adopted. He's two years old. He is an escape artist. If you open the door, bam, he's out like that. One day I was, in, I was barefoot in a pair of shorts, and somehow the front door got open for about, oh, I don't know, a nanosecond, about a tenth of a second, and bam, he was out and across the street and down the street, and away he went. And so I'm running around the neighborhood in, in a pair of shorts and a T-shirt, barefoot over the rocks and the, the different things, and I was saying, come here, sweet little thing. <laughs> if you live in my neighborhood, you know that's not true. Bo, sit, stop, don't do that. And he did it again on Friday, Friday morning. I'm all dressed to come back to church because we, uh, we had some things going on and I was going to work Friday. And I had on some leather shoes, some nice dress shoes, nice dress clothes. And I'm running around the neighborhood like a chicken with its head cut off. And I was running encumbered. I was running with a hindrance. The Lord says, put those things off. He says to correct, rebuke, to encourage intellectually, to, to reason, to, to rebuke is to have spiritual or moral, moral training so that when you, do, you go into the wrong way, someone stops you. Uh, to encourage is to emotionally be trained. Someone coming alongside saying, you can do this, you can do it. To instruct is to draw the best out of another. He says to run with endurance. There was a movie I saw yesterday. Again, I've, I've seen it several times and I love it. It's called Facing the Giants. It's the same people who put out Courageous. 
And in one scene in this movie, the coach is there, and the team is not giving all of the, the effort that they could, and they're not enduring. They're, they're giving out, and they're, they're quitting. And he says, I know that there's more in there. And, and he asks the guy to do the death walk. The death walk is when you're crabbing on all fours. Your knees don't touch the ground, and there's a guy on your back. So there's this big lineman, and he says, Coach, I can do that as long as you want me to. He says, you think you could get to the 50-yard line? And he says, sure, Coach, not a problem. And the coach says, okay, now here's the little wrinkle. I'm going to put a blindfold on you. And the coach says, get the guy on his back, puts the blindfold on him, and he starts him down from the goal line, and and he's crabbing, and he's getting tired at about the 20-yard line. The coach says, don't you quit on me. You've got more than that. Come on, you can do more than that. Come on, are you going to quit now? You're not halfway to the goal. Come on, you can do this. And he, and he keeps going and he says, Coach, I'm tired. I'm, I need to rest. He says, you can't quit now. Come on, you said you could do this. And then the coach goes on and on and the guy says, Coach, let me quit. He says, are you done? Have you given everything? He says, no, I have more. He says, keep going, keep going. And he says, he says, Coach, I can't stand it anymore. He says, come on, 20 steps, 10 steps, 5 steps. Come on, last crawl. And finally he says, Coach, that's it, I'm done. And he collapses. He says, take your, your blindfold off. He says, I better made it to the 50-yard line. And he takes the blindfold off, and he's in the, following, he's in the other end zone. He's gone over 100 yards. And the Lord says, so many times you have quit in the Christian life. So many times you have stopped short of what God has called you to do. So many times you've gotten to the point where you say, I can't do it anymore. And the Lord says, I will empower you. Come now. Endure with me. Number three, run with focus. You run with urgency, you run with patience, and you run with focus. It says, in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, in light of the, in view of his appearing in his kingdom. He he will go on in the other verses to say that you'll meet Jesus Christ. Who's your focus in the Christian life? Say, well, pastor, I'm looking at the church to guide me. Don't look at the church. The church has failed. It's flawed. Well, pastor, I'm looking at you. Don't look at me. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Hebrews 12, 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter, the one who's finishing it, who's going to complete our faith. He's the one who endured the cross for the joy set before him. He says he endured the cross and he sat down at the right hand of God. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Run with focus. We can focus on so many other things. Last Easter, we had all the kids, and they were doing the Easter egg hunt, and we had this big time. It's a way of gathering kids from the neighborhood that wouldn't come to church any other way. And we have this huge Easter egg hunt, and we have thousands of eggs out there. And there was a little boy, and I noticed he had his basket, and he was just sauntering through and looking at the eggs. And I said, son, you better be quick, because, I mean, the, the other kids were just grabbing the eggs and filling their basket. And I said, son, you better be quick. He says, Don't worry, I only pick up purple eggs. (laughs) He was checking them out. He had about three eggs in his basket. Others were going away with 20 and 30 and 35. He was focused on one little thing, and, and at the time I thought, wow, poor kid. But when he came up, he was beaming, and he said to his mom, see, mom, I got all the purple ones. Kid was focused. Satan tries to divert our attention to so many other things even good things. And Paul warns Timothy, listen, there are going to be people who've been diverted. They have itchy ears. They have itching ears. They can't stand the truth. In Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is being stoned to death, it says that they stopped their ears. They couldn't stand the truth. They didn't want to hear the truth that day. 
You think that's true of us today? I read an interesting article again this week. I'd seen it before and I didn't realize it, and I, I came back to it again this week. Did you know that if you took a size 2 or a size 3 in women's clothes from today and you went back 40 years and you laid the clothes out, guess what? They've resized the clothes. So a size 2 or 3 or 4 or 6 or 9 or 12 or 14 today is totally different because we have grown as Americans. So the sizes today, they've actually expanded and the women wanted to feel better about themselves so they just resized the clothes and kept the same numbers. We don't like the truth, do we? We hate the truth. Every Monday I get on the scale and I look at the scale and I say, Kathy, we need a new scale. This one's broken. I don't like the truth. They substitute their fantasy for God's facts. Do you get that? They substitute their fantasy for God's facts. If they won't listen, why tell them? If they won't listen, why should we witness? Because we are to be different, committed to the truth, focused on Jesus Christ. We are to focus on him. Four times in 2 Timothy, there's two little Greek words, sude, sude, but you. He says, this is what they will do, but, verse 5, but you keep your head in all situations. This is what they will do, but you keep focused. This is what they will do, but you keep on. But you, come on, you guys, you've got to do this. Endure hardship. Richard Wormbrand was a, a, a Jewish man who studied Marxism in Moscow. In 1938, there was a, a young man who came to him. And he challenged him to read the New Testament. And Richard Wormbrand said, why would I read the New Testament? I'm Jewish. He said, just humor me, read it. He says, well, I've studied the world's philosophies. I'm a Marxist. And he says, just read the New Testament. He says, I don't want to read the New Testament. And he says, are you afraid of the truth? And Richard Wormbrand said, when he said that to me, it made me mad. And I said, he said, I will read the New Testament to prove to you that I am right. He got to John chapter 3. And later those who saw his Bible said that the pages were all crumpled. Because he had wept so much when he got to John chapter 3 that God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes. And Richard Wormbrand, on his own, reading through the New Testament, when he got to John chapter 3, accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. He went to his homeland in Romania. He was persecuted for 20 years. He was beaten and he was imprisoned and for 20 years. And finally, in, in the late 50s, early 60s, he was released from prison and he was able to escape. He came to America. He sat in front of a Senate subcommittee in the U.S. Capitol in Washington. In 1966, they were looking to see how much persecution was going on in the Soviet Union and in, in some of the Eastern Bloc countries. And he sat there and he began to give this testimony of what had happened. And one of the senators said to him, I don't believe it. I don't believe that that's really what they're doing. And Richard Wormbrand pulled his coat off and pulled his shirt off. And there were huge scars. There were burns, cigarette burns, all over his upper torso. There were huge scars from the whippings that he had. His back looked like it was rippled, almost like an alligator skin. And he pulled it off, and he turned to the television camera, and he says, you will not listen to the truth. Richard Wormbrand formed a group called Voice of the Martyrs. He died in 2001. He went home to be with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But he spent the rest of his life trying to tell people the truth. Run with urgency, run with patience, run with focus. You say, well, pastor, 
That's great preparation, but what are my incentives? Why should I do this? Look at the last three verses. What are my incentives for running well? Verse 6. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. There are a lot of people who would tell you that the, the, the reason that you run well is so you can get the prize, so you can get the crown. I don't believe that. I don't believe that we run the Christian life. I don't believe we live the Christian life. I don't believe we walk as God would have us to walk for some award that we get at the end of life. I think there's two things that Paul is telling Timothy. The number one thing is I can make a difference. You run, you walk, you live so that you can make a difference. You can make a difference. Paul says to Timothy, I have done what the Lord had me to do. God used Paul. You say, well, I'm not Paul. No, but God will and can and wants to use you. I had someone come to me, Linda Stewart, and she said, you know, you know what, I, I feel compelled, I feel like I'm supposed to do something and I'm, and I'm going to start showing up on Monday morning and I'm going to pray that God will, will have this change in this church here at Crosspoint. And I'm going to come Monday, and I'm not going to pray for those in the hospital, even though that's a good thing. And I'm not going to pray for the other people who are sick and have cancer. That's a great thing. But I want to pray that we will be a lighthouse. I want to pray that we will share the gospel. I want to pray that God will use this church in a mighty way. I want to pray that we will be the church that God has called us to be. I got news for you. Linda Stewart is going to make a difference. Her prayer is a heart cry from her heart saying, God, I want, to, I want to do what you want me to do. Paul recognized his time was ending. Within days, he was executed. And he wanted to pass the torch. Joshua followed Moses. Elisha followed Elijah. Timothy followed Paul. And Paul says, it's time for my departure. And he uses this term. I use this in, in many funerals. It's the loosening. It's time for, the, it's time for my loosening. We grab so tight on this life. We just grab tight and hold tight, and we think, oh, that hurts my ribs. Uh, we grab tight, and we think, oh, we're just going to hang on to this life, and Paul says, I'm loosening my grip. It's used of striking a tent, of taking a tent down. It's used of untying a boat that's going from your dock to, to another harbor. And Paul says, I'm leaving this life. I'm, I'm loosening my hold on this. Who's going to step up? Paul says to Timothy, you can make a difference. You say, I'm too young. I'm too old. I, I don't have enough biblical background. Pa Pastor, I've never been to Bible college. I can't make... Pastor, I'm, I'm not gifted in music. I'm not, I can't do this. And, and, and I don't know the language. I don't know the terminology. I, I don't have the people. Pa Pastor, I can't. Paul writes in, in Corinthians. Look at what he says. He's... He says, you show that you are a letter from Christ. He's writing to this, to this church that's so, so dysfunctional, this church that has so many problems. He says, you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. 
The people that you encounter in your life, the people that you rub shoulders with, rub elbows with, the people that you live with in your neighborhood, the people that you see at your work, the people that you go to school with, they need to see Jesus Christ written on the tablet of your heart. You can make a difference. And I think the other reason, the other incentive for running well is I can please the one who matters. I can please the one who really matters in life. Chuck Colson tells an amazing story of, of his rise along with Richard Nixon in 1972. He wrote, we had just won the 72 election with 60.7% of the popular vote. We had 18 million more votes than our opponent. The electoral college vote was 520 to 17. Richard Nixon was sitting in a quarter, suck, corner sucking down victory scotch. Chief of Staff H.R. Haldeman was glowering in the corner, furious that they had not completely swept it and gotten 537 electoral votes. And I felt totally empty. And I asked myself, is this it? He was serving the most powerful man in the world at that time, Richard Nixon, the President of the United States. And he realized he was serving the wrong master. Imagine the difference when we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We've been singing songs today about, I bring an offering. The sun cannot compare to the glory of your love. There's no shadow in your presence. No mortal man would dare to stand before your throne, before the Holy One of heaven. It's only by your blood, it's only through your mercy. Lord, I come, I bring an offering of worship to my King. We are given the opportunity of coming to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Matthew 25, 21. It's a parable. Jesus tells a parable of the person who's been given the talents, the, the money, the gifts. And he comes back and the servant has been faithful with it. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's joy, his happiness. One day I want to stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and I don't care about crowns. I don't care about awards. I don't care about trophies. I don't care about gold and glitter. I want him to say to me, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, pastor. Well done, George. Well done, little boy. Well done, teenager. Well done, adult. Well done, neighbor. And I long to stand before the King of kings and have him say, do you understand the impact that you had? See these neighbors who came to Jesus Christ. See these people that you helped grow in, in Christ. See this church that you helped lead. Do you understand what you have done? God wants us to stand before him because we made a difference. He's the one who matters. It's a promise to all those who long for his appearing. It's a promise not just to pastors, to all those who long for his appearing. That's, that's the, the point of faith. You understand that? Only Christians long for Jesus to appear. The unbelievers don't believe that Jesus Christ even exists, that there will be a reckoning time, that they're going to stand before the King of kings and the Lord of one, lords, the, the one who's going, it says, who, who's going to judge, who will judge the living and the dead. They don't believe that there is one, and if they do believe it, it's kind of, you know, the old thing, I don't know that you ever had this happen to you, but my mother would use this phrase every now and then, wait till your father gets home. 
If they do believe there is a God, they're kind of living in that sense of wait till dad gets home. And they're thinking, ooh, this is not going to be good. But I long for his appearance. There was a devotional, Indeed magazine. We have the devotionals out there. And by the way, you need to pick up the one for November and December. Uh, We'll have them on the, the counter on the right as you go out there free. It says they will no longer be afraid or terrified. Imagine what it would be like to live without fear. No fear of not being able to pay the bills next month. No fear of accidents, disease, or war. No fear of broken relationships. And no fear of death. As a result, there would be no stress, normal blood pressure, few headaches, and plenty of free time that was once consumed with preoccupations such as worry. Sounds like heaven, doesn't it? It's also a description of God's will for us today. God's word tells us hundreds of times to not be afraid. It gives us reasons to be strong, courageous, bold, and full of faith. It promises us deliverance, provision, guidance, protection, and eternal life. It's virtually impossible for God's word to be more emphatic that we don't need to be afraid. All it asks from us is that we believe. I told you the story at the very beginning of Eric Little. Eric Little uh, won the Olympics, set the world record, but that's not where he won the race. Eric Little in the 1930s decided that he was going to follow the Lord's leading to become a missionary to China. His parents had been missionaries in China. He actually was born in China. He decided he was going to go back, and he was in China when China was overrun by communists, first by the Japanese and then the communist takeover. Even when he had a chance to get out, he did not take it. He went back time after time. On February 21st, 1945, Eric Little was executed in China, serving in a mission, in a mission compound. What's amazing is his family has for many years wondered why he was there when he was given the opportunity. In 2008, a, a grandchild ran across some things in her mother's, or a, a child ran across some things in her mother's things, and they found the true story. In 2008, it was revealed that he was given a letter. It was a, a letter of formal pardon. It said to whom this, this uh, bears this. It was a letter that if you bear this, you have a free reign. And it was a free ticket. It was a free passage back to Scotland. It was freedom to get out of China. They knew that he was a world-class athlete, and they didn't want to be guilty of executing a world-class athlete. And so it didn't have his name because they didn't know for sure what his name was, but they had it de- uh, They had it brought to him, delivered to him. And when he got this in the mission compound, he prayed. And as he began to pray, he realized that there was this woman that he needed to give it to. She was pregnant. And he gave her the letter. She was freed by the communists. She had free passage to Scotland. She went back there and she married a pastor. Her husband had already been killed. And she delivered this child. And in 2008, the letters were finally found among the things that were part of her heritage. Eric Little was a winner. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for not running with urgency. Forgive us for not running with focus. Forgive us for not enduring. Forgive us for running for all the wrong reasons, for ourself, for selfishness, for for us. Father, you've called us to stand and to be courageous. You've 
called us to, to not be afraid to do the things that you've called us to do. And one day, Father, we're going to stand in your presence and we, we long to hear, we need to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And it won't be because we played it safe and it won't be because we just showed up on Sunday morning. It's because we have run the way that you have wanted us to run, to run to win the race. Give us the courage to do that even today, Father. Thank you for the example of those who went before us, for Paul, for Elijah, for Moses, for those who who stood up and moved out and led as you call them to lead. And help us, Father, to make a difference. Help us, Father, to be faithful to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.